Black Doctors podcast. Welcome back to the show. We are back with being Dr. Bernice. We talked a lot last week about her experience in the process and what drove her, what led her to become a physician. We learned about the incredible experience she had completing her MPP. And definitely go back and check out that episode if you haven't listened to it. This week, we're going to learn about her job and her role as an emergency medicine physician. We're going to learn about this super cool fellowship that she's currently doing. So Dr. Bernice, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. So we got pretty far into your pathway and this incredible experience that you had uh, during your MPP. Honestly, it's like, I don't know if I would be able to go back to medical school or residency after the things that you experienced, but you did. And you applied for a residency program in emergency medicine. At what point did you realize that that was a specialty for you? Like my answers to pretty much everything you've asked me today, like nothing was straightforward. I was absolutely not considering emergency medicine when I started med school. Like I didn't even, really? it didn't even cross my mind. And you'll hear this later when I talk about my fellowship about the way that this did not even cross <laughs> my mind until it was, until it was presented to me. But yeah, I mean, so I went in, I, for a while I was thinking like pediatrics, I was thinking adolescent medicine, and then I was thinking maybe pediatric neurology because of kind of the, what I talked about earlier, my time working with, you know, child development. And then I was also like that kind of annoying person that I was like, after every rotation, I was like, oh my God, I loved that. Oh, I loved that. One. <laughs> I loved that one too. They're like, oh, I could do that too. I could. I, and then I was so confused at the end. Oh my goodness. I was so confused. And as you know, one, a lot of medical schools don't even require emergency medicine. Emory does. Thank right. goodness. I think emergency medicine should be required because it's, it's literally the front door of the hospital. It's mm-hmm. what it's. If so many people get patients through this route, it is the rawest, the rawest formed of diagnostic, diagnostic medicine. Like it is, you have no data and you have to do so much. There's resuscitation. Obviously I love EM, so I'm going to, I'm going to always cave for my field, but, <laughs> but a lot of people don't find it. And then when it's required though, it's not a core rotation. So you see it fourth year, but what's interesting about the field is that you have to, in order to apply you have to do an away rotation so that you can get letters in order to apply for the field. So the only people that really can apply to emergency medicine are the people who know about emergency medicine before Hmm. the time that they do the rotation or that are put in a position where they can, can get the rotation early. They get special permission. So there are, there are cases. And even in my own program, there have been cases of people who did not discover EM until after the residency interview process had already started and then it was too late to do it. That happens. Yeah. That not, not infrequently. So I was almost one of those people (laughs) because I was not thinking (laughs) emergency medicine. I went to the SNMA national conference actually one year and I saw some of my mentors there. I love that conference by the way, super plug for Amy. Oh, awesome. What, what, what city was it in? This was the San Francisco one. So a little throwback. Oh yeah. I was there. Yeah. I was there. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I had a time. I had such a fun time at that one. And I I saw like it's it's a beautiful conference because it's like literally you're seeing all these amazing black and brown physicians. It's fun. Yes. You feel like you can be yourself. Most people, other than those who are at HBCUs, like most people are not often seeing 
people that look like them around them, you know, in insufficient numbers. So I was just having at the time of my life and I was like hanging out with my friends and one of my mentors was there. And because at this point I had already gotten accepted to and decided that I was the Kennedy school for my master's. And so it was kind of the period before I was starting my master's, I was not, I I still had a a couple of months left of medical school, but then I was going to be gone for a year and a half. And I met with somebody who had also done the MD MPP before me. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm so excited. I'm going to start at Kennedy soon. And he was like, oh, you're doing the MPP. So you're going to do emergency medicine like us then, like speaking to like this cohort of people who had done it. And I was like, I am not doing emergency medicine. <laughs> I was like, I don't know why you would ask me that, but I'm excited for you guys. Like, that's not my ministry. I literally said, that, right? like, I literally, I, I, it wasn't that verbatim, but it was like, that was the, the spirit of what I said. I was like, I don't right. know why you would think I'm doing emergency medicine just because I'm interested in health policy. Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I was, then I went to bed that night and I had a dream. <laughs> It sounds ridiculous, Hmm. but I have a friend who I was at the conference with, who I was like literally sharing a bed with, because you know, broke life at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And been there. Yeah. You know, you know, life. And I woke up, I said, I said, girl, why am I not doing emergency medicine again? I was like, I never thought about it. Mind (laughs) you, I had scheduled my EM rotation for after my Mm. residency interview season which meant I literally was so not thinking emergency medicine that it was going to be after my, like it would have been too late to do anything. There would have been absolutely no way. So that tells you that I was not, it wasn't on my list at all. In retrospect, I don't know how it could not have been on my list, but I was just, I was very intimidated by it. I, I just thought it was like all scary and it was loud and it was like everybody was sick and everybody was always dying, which is like mm. true sometimes. It's not untrue. To balance. Yeah, it's not untrue. <laughs> but especially as somebody who liked so many things about different rotations, even surgery. Like I was like, I really, I, I like, I was like, I like this that they're working with their hands. Like, I was like, it, it was something about the fact that they were working with their hands and able to do things with their hands right. that I really liked, but I did not like the operating room. Oh, I just didn't like it. So then I started looking at like other things. I was like, I looked at Derm at one point. I was like, oh, maybe like if I did the like little, you know, like those little like biopsy procedures and stuff, I was like, I want to do something with my hands, but I still hmm. want to do diagnostic medicine. But like, I still want to like, problems. Like I, I had all these things. And now that I'm in emergency medicine, I should have seen it back then. But anyway, I called my, from San Francisco, I called my med school office, like my like scheduling office. And I was like, can you please change my rotation so that when I come back from this conference, I start emergency medicine, like when wow. I get back, <laughs> because I, I, I need to see this before I like leave for my master's and before my interview season, and all that stuff, just in case. So I went back from the conference. Oh, I should say at, at SNMA, I met people from U Chicago EM, including like some people who are like, just like Kings and Queens in my life. Like Dr. Kemi Carter, Dr. Abdul. Yes, yes. I met Dr. Yeah. Chrissy Babcock. Like these are literally like my friends now, like they're literally friends of mine, but I met them back then at this conference. And I went up to them and I was like, Hey, like, can you just tell me, like, tell me about EM? Why did you choose it? What do you like about it? And they were, these are people who they, 
talked straight from the heart and they were just like, listen, mm-hmm. these are the good things. These are the things that are not so great, but I would not change my life at all. Dr. Chrissy, Chrissy Babcock, like had even switched from surgery into EM after like doing half of her residency, like all of this stuff. And I was like, wow, I was like, I really need to check this thing out. So I went back, I went back to med school. I, I did my first, I did orientation and then I did my first shift in the ED. And after my first shift, I was like, I literally almost missed the specialty. I literally almost wow. missed the specialty. Like, and you know, it's funny because that shift, I don't even think it was like anything. It wasn't even anything crazy. There was one patient and I still remember this because I think I wrote, this was like a little part of my personal statement to EM. I was like, it was this, it was this girl who unfortunately had, had gotten into an altercation with her, with her boyfriend who had assaulted her. And so mm. he had this like, just like, like a small lack on her forehead. She was so tearful. She was, she was safe. Like she was, you know, she didn't have a brain bleed. She didn't have like from hemodynamically stable. She was able to be discharged. All she needed was a lack repair, but she was sobbing. She was like, are my kids safe? She was like, is my face wow. gonna be ugly now? Like she was really focused on those things. And so we sewed her lack just, you know, threw a couple stitches in, it came together beautifully. We were like, your face is going to be amazing. We're talking to our social worker. Now they're working on helping to find where your kids are and find a safe place for you to go. Like, you're going to be good. And then she like hugged me and like, just was like uh-huh. crying in my shoulders. And she was like, thank you so much. Oh my God. I could get emotional now. Like, <laughs> and I remember thinking like, I was like, I would have never seen this patient. I wouldn't have seen her inside of the hospital. Right. Like she didn't have a reason to be admitted. And right. like, from like a medical perspective, we didn't do that much. Like we just threw a couple of stitches into like a very like well approximated wound, but like we like really, really changed her life and like really showed up for her in a moment that was extremely vulnerable. And I just thought that was so beautiful. And I was like, wow. And then, all, and then I started exploring, you know, other things that I enjoyed about it. I just, and then, it, and then I realized that it really fits so nicely with health policy because there's no place that you see the brokenness in the system more than the emergency room because the emergency room ultimately functions as the safety net of the medical system. Because people who can't yeah. get in to a primary care doctor, people who can't find a specialist, like they end up in the ED. So we see everybody. People who who don't have a place to sleep, we see them in the ED. People who yeah. are like, you know, like, a turkey sandwich. People who who need a turkey sandwich, people who are hungry, like we see everybody in the ED. And I should go back and say when I was at Princeton, I studied I studied anthropology. And so and I loved anthropology because it was like ethnography was so amazing to me because ethnography is literally just basically just like watching how people live, how cultural influences, how societal influences, how so many things come together to impact the way that people move through the world. So that's kind of even like the foundation that I'm coming from. And I, and I, I feel like I am an ethnographer, like just like at heart, like I just, I love seeing and just talking to people and being like, wow. Okay. So then how did that influence you? And then like, why do you do this and that, you know? And so I felt like the ED was just like the place for that. Cause you just really get to just see society in its rawest form and like see so many different things just like about just like the human experience. And even just that, that patient that I told you about from my first shift, I was like, there's so much there. 
there's so much there. And I love that I have the medical skill to be able to, you know, make her face look pretty, which was like, which was important to her. And it's her face. She's a young woman, but that I could also deploy my resources to help her through a really traumatic time. And then also just like be there for her and be like, Hey, you're going to be okay. This was not your fault. Like just being there for that. So yeah, it just like all came together. I I love that. That is probably the most beautiful description of emergency medicine I've, I've ever, ever heard and having, you know, worked in, I worked in the, the old University of Chicago mm. or before we moved as an intern, worked with Dr. Carter and Dr. Babcock and Dr. Pratt. He came along a little later, but again, some of the best people you will ever meet. And as a simple country anesthesiologist, ICU physician, I have the utmost respect for my colleagues in the emergency department because of the time I spent there, right? You mentioned you may not do rotation if you do a rotation in emergency medicine as a medical student or a resident that should probably change the way you look at the specialty from from that point on every day i thank god i don't have to go work in that emergency department and when you get that quote-unquote bad consult or admission just try to put yourself in their shoes and realize that it's just utter chaos down there oh my god and they're just reaching out for help so that that's my ever since my intern year, I've had a, a newfound appreciation for emergency medicine physicians. <laughs> I appreciate that. I also agree. I think a lot of people don't know what we're up against when we're down there. And like, we really are just like, our job is to advocate for patients who don't have anywhere else to go. And so, yeah. yes, when we call upon our colleagues, it is. I would love to, we can wrap up talking about this incredible specialty. There's a couple of different Emergency medicine specialties. I'll forget a few, but there is ultrasound. There, that's there's EMS. A couple others. Sports medicine. You can do critical care mm-hmm. out of emergency medicine. That's right. Yeah. There's there's medical education. There's toxicology. Toxicology is a big one. There's administration is another one. There's global health. There's there's so many, and there's and. And there's even some that are like not necessarily like the accredited ones, but like people take extra time and become kind of subject matter experts on that topic. So there's even people who become like cardiology focused, like cardi emergency cardiology kind of is like their wheelhouse, you know, and there's, there's, there's a lot of different pathways that you can take. But you were doing EMS and you just posted a, p- a picture on Twitter that went viral because you were like decked out <laughs> in your flight suit. You're standing by a helicopter on the helipad south side of Chicago. Um, just an incredible, incredible picture. And you're actually talking about in the caption how you met somebody in the elevator that looked like you that was inspired just by your presence and, and being where you were. But I'm curious, you know, this this EMS fellowship, you are like on the front lines, like doing some incredible stuff. Can you tell us about what EMS is and and what the fellowship consists of. Absolutely. Yeah. That was such a special moment that you're referring to whenever I, you know, I met a black man who was in the elevator and he saw me in my flight suit and I was like, he was like, wow. Superhero. And I was just like, thank you. (laughs) Like I needed that today. I appreciate you, sir. Yeah. So EMS, I even had to learn a lot about it because I didn't necessarily know. And I even, I feel like I ended up having to explain a lot to a lot of people what it is. Pre-hospital medicine is the, 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 the short answer is that emergency medical services is 
all about how do you deliver medical care outside of the setting of a hospital? That is the short answer. The pre-hospital space is extremely vast. And so even within EMS, there ends up being even like sub specialties within it. But for me, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I had done the master's in public policy that we discussed before I was coming. I was like in my second year of residency and like everybody loves to ask you what you're doing next. I was like, but I was like, I don't know Do I need to go move to DC and like go work on the Hill. Cause that was, that's kind of like the classic like policy thing that you do. And right. I was like, I could do that. There's policy fellowships where you could do two years and get a master's with the fellowship, but I already have my master's. So there's ex- accelerated ones where you go, you do one year and you, you know, go work either with a congressman or something like that. And I was like, that sounds cool. I felt like I was not, I wanted to keep doing my work in Chicago. There's, there was a lot of kind of projects and yeah. community and activities that I had been doing. And I, I did not want to uproot myself. And I was like, there just has to be a way that I could like really impact this community. So I, I, I'd been to, I, the way I navigate and for any listeners out there, like you just got to talk to people. That's how I figured these things out. That's how I found EM. Yeah. And this is how I found EMS. I was working a shift with another amazing person, Dr. Mike McCartan, who was the prior EMS fellow at my hospital. And I was working a shift with him. He was like, what are you doing next in life? And I was like, I told him this exact thing. I was like, I'm really conflicted about what I need to do next. I knew I wanted to do academic emergency medicine, which is different than community emergency medicine, kind of similar, not the same, but similar to the distinction of private practice versus um, academics that you'll see in other specialties. But I was like, I don't know how I'm going to incorporate like my policy interests into like this EM field. And I'm trying to figure this out. He was like, have you considered EMS? I was like, not at all. That tell me like why should I? <laughs> and then he was like, Dr. Tataris, who is the regional EMS director, like literally for like all of Chicago. She's one of four medical directors and like for the whole South region. Very powerful, wow. very unassuming, but very amazing mentor, sponsor of mine. She he was like, she's on the phone with the mayor's office like every week talking about how mm. to allocate resources appropriately to the hospital. Everything wow. about the way that people are transported to the hospital, what resource designations we can give to the hospital is is going through her and her office. Like there's so much public health that's happening in this space. And I was like, I never thought about that. Then I had gotten advice from another mentor of mine who was talking about if you're trying to figure out what to do next in your life, and this is like some of the best advice I've ever gotten, you need to tap into your emotions. When you're on shift, Identify the things that make you angry. Identify the things that trigger the strongest emotions in you and then figure out how you can respond to those things. And I was just like that. I mean, that's really powerful advice. And I was one of the shifts we work is like our really high acuity part of the emergency room. And I kept seeing patients, particularly black and brown patients, which are obviously the majority of the patients that we see on the South side that came in, we have a very high level of out of, heart, out of hospital cardiac arrests that come through because unfortunately we have a very sick patient population. I kept seeing them come in, no bystander CPR. So hmm. it would be like, okay, you know, 50 year old gentleman was in totally normal health then found down his family saw him and looked at him. Oh, <laughs> like, no. You know, and was like, <laughs> thought he would get up or like, you know, they just didn't yeah. even know to do it. So by the time he comes to me, if he's been down 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 
nobody's been on his chest, then I can restart his heart. I can, I can resuscitate him. I've been trained very well to do that, but he is not coming back to any type of functional reality after this. Yeah. And it, and I realized that it was actually, it was, it was very upsetting to me. Like it was upsetting me because it really felt it was affecting why am I not able to like, I, I can't do anything about this here. So I was like, I need to get, I need to get up the chain. And that's, and that's even just like the essence of public health is like, you're trying to go, you're trying to go back up to prevention and to that sort of thing. And so I realized that the pre-hospital space is a really powerful space. And a lot of the volunteer work that I had already been doing, including some of the projects I had done with um, Dr. Pratt were on teaching Stop the Bleed, which is pre-hospital, teaching bystander CPR and how to do it, teaching stroke recognition in communities that are not familiar with stroke. Because we have patients that come in and they were like, oh yeah, like her face has been kind of twisted since yesterday. I'm like, we can't even do anything for you anymore. Had you come and then you want to ask like, why didn't you come immediately? But then now it sounds accusatory and then they're feeling bad. Like I did this to my family member and it's like, you didn't know. Oh God, it was killing me. Oh, it made me sad now. Like, (laughs) so I realized that this pre-hospital space, there's so much amazing public health potential there. And so when I started talking to Mike and then I was talking to, you know, Dr. Tataris and I realized that there's also a lot of local policy, local and municipal policy that happens in the pre-hospital space. That's when I was like, I need to look into this fellowship. And I went really back and forth for a while because I was like, maybe I just go straight into academics. Maybe I, maybe I do the thing where I like go work on the Hill, maybe. But then the more I read about, the more I thought about the ways that there's so much space, it's wide open right now on how to inject Hmm. health equity into the pre-hospital space. How do you meet vulnerable populations where they are? How can you change behavior? Going back to some of the classes that I did in my master's, how can I utilize behavioral economics to change behavior of poor and vulnerable patients before they get to the hospital so that their outcomes can be better? Because in pretty much anything, in education, in, in, in everything, if you go up the chain, if you go up the pathway, you have so much more possibilities for success. But if you come to me and you've already, your family member had that stroke a day and a half ago, my resources are severely restricted compared to what they could have been, you know? So for me, the pre-hospital space has been just like an amazing place to explore. I ride around, like I ride with the ambulance crews and I see, I literally see people's homes. I see the South side of Chicago. I see the West side of Chicago. Wow. I, I ride all over the city. I fly with UCAN. I get to, I, we literally fly in. I go to these hospitals and I see what is happening. I know how to, take care of people in a very resource restricted setting, which is not the hospital where I have all the specialists. I have all the medicines. I have pharmacy. I have, I have everything I need to do what I need to do. I'm in the wild, you know, but that's where our patients Mm. are. Like they're out there. And so I'm meeting people where they are and I'm able to do what needs to be done for them. And hopefully I'm meeting them earlier and giving them a better chance so that's, that's kind of the, the concept. Gosh, it's beautiful. And like full circle based upon how your story started and, and where you are now is such an amazing thing to see. And I, I honestly cannot wait to see where you go from here. Cause you've got s- such a huge future ahead of you and you're going to inspire and touch and heal so many people. 
as we wrap up, I would love to know what recently has inspired you, whether that's a movie, a song, a trip, whatever uh, has inspired you recently. Oh my God, this is such a beautiful question. I like asking it and everybody's just like thinking, thinking that like, it has to be like huge and magnificent, but what has put you on the spot. inspired me recently? I feel like I've been inspired by so many things. I, I like, I, I'm the type that like, it'll be like nothing. And I will just be like, do you see? Oh my gosh. What was I, I was walking the other day. I was out at a coffee shop and I looked up and there was like this rainbow but it was a rainbow in a cloud and like there wasn't a rainbow going through it, you know, across the horizon. It was just, it just showed up in the cloud and I'm just standing there like sipping coffee, staring at this cloud and people are just walking by. And I'm like, what do you see that rainbow and the, the, the cloud rainbow? And they're like, Oh man, I've never seen it before. And then they like keep walking. I'm just, I stare at it for like 15, 15, 20 minutes. But yeah, yeah. Life isn't inspiring. It's all, all around you. There's so many things. I could answer this with a million questions, but one <laughs> did come to mind. So one of my shifts when I was flying with UCannon, UCannon, I'm sorry, is the University of Chicago Aeromedical Network. And so we transport critical patients to higher levels of care where they can get, you know, the the help that they need. And so we had to transport this kid and he was like, he was so sick. He was like, he was working so hard to breathe. And, you know, we were giving him all the support and the meds and all the stuff that he needed. But he was like crying. And then he had to say bye to his mom because we had to fly him in the helicopter. But then we were like, what's your favorite cartoon? And he was like, Mickey Mouse. And so (laughs) like, while we're pushing him to like go onto this helicopter to then like be like airlifted to safety, I'm like walking around with my like little phone playing Mickey Mouse like, oh, in the hospital. <laughs> and he's like, you know, working to breathe and like kind of getting through his illness and stuff. But he's just watching Mickey Mouse and he's just like, and then he's giggling at the little Mickey Mouse. And then he's like, you know, and then he just like really calmed down through that. And then we put him in the helicopter. And then, you know, at one point he kind of sat up and he saw the views and he was just looking at him, oh, like looking at his little Mickey Mouse. And then we got into, you know, where he needed to go. And he was even like looking a little bit better by the end of it. And so I feel like that was really inspiring. He was so freaking cute, first of all. And then <laughs> secondly, it's just, I think children are just really inspiring because they don't, they haven't been, for lack of a better term, marred by the the heaviness of the world, right? So he, I don't think he had a full understanding, as he shouldn't, a full understanding of how serious his situation was. And it really was just like something as easy and light as as watching his favorite, you know, cartoon. And he was still able to find laughter in those moments. He was like, he wasn't even scared on the helicopter. He was just, he was doing his thing. And I really believe that he's going to (laughs) bounce back and- and, you know, come back to health and everything. But I think, you know, even in the setting of chaos and the setting of, you know, impending doom, or you can always still find a glimmer of joy. You can always still find a glimmer of hope. And I think kids remind you of that. And and I feel like that kid reminded me of that recently. I love that. I love that. I love the, the contrast. And it's so humbling that after 50, 11 years of education, you could be a full professor, but if a kid wants to watch Mickey Mouse, you're going to put a Mickey Mouse cartoon on. That was my job. <laughs> I was literally right there. Like we're pushing him. We're like checking his vitals while we're walking. And I have my like one hand up like this, just like 
here's the cartoon. <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> I was like and like Love everybody it. was like laughing as I was walking by because they were like, that one has the most important job right now. And I was like, my job is very important right now. <laughs> Love it. Oh gosh. Well, Dr. Bernice, thank you so much for spending so much time with myself, with our listeners, just sharing your story, your incredible story, the things you've accomplished thus far, the field of emergency medicine and the the specialty of I for people that want to reach out and follow you, you are on I think all your socials are being dot doctor dot bernice yeah well so on instagram it has the periods but then on uh i have tiktok now although i'm like still figuring that platform out <laughs> Me twitter too. what else youtube which i'm like really gonna revitalize like i need to get through my boards and then i'm gonna like really pour back yep. into that platform because i really enjoy that platform but yeah being dr bernice i the the mission is to to just like highlight to demystify this process because a lot of people don't know what it's like to be in medicine and how do you balance life in and outside of medicine? How do you still find joy and passion and conviction in, in your work? And yeah, just like to be a resource and and hopefully, you know, source of inspiration and motivation for people. And you absolutely are. We will include links to the socials in the show note. Thanks for joining. Tune in next week for another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast. We're here because representation matters. I'm so proud of you. I love this podcast. I love it. All right. We're going to stop.